Hello, everybody. Welcome to the first of many Media Boat Podcast holiday. I don't even know if we have a name for this. I, I usually call it the twenty, the wrap up, the year end wrap up, because I like to imagine that we're putting the year in a nice tidy present and tying oh, and tying the bow and putting it under the tree. The only thing is, is this year was twenty twenty, and as you know. It was uh, kind of a rotten year for a lot of reasons and for a lot of people. So instead of putting it under the tree, we're going to tie it up in a package. We're going to put it in the fireplace. We're going to watch it burn into ashes. We're going to scoop up those ashes. We're going to go into a helicopter. We're going to drop from the helicopter the ashes into the ocean. And then we're going to catch it before it gets into the ocean because we don't want to pollute. And then we're going to catapult, like put that in a cannon and shoot it into the sun. That's the plan. Guy, you, you follow? You follow, Mike? Yes, I follow. I, I just need to wait for you to introduce me. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes. If you've ever listened to the show before, uh, the year wrap-up is our opportunity to take take inventory of the year that has occurred. Uh, all the our, uh, the craziest news stories from the year. Um, and then after we've recapped, we pick one news story in each section of the show. So movies, television, video games, music, not necessarily in that order. Uh, and then pick one of those news stories that we think resonated the most and is the most important in the calendar year. And then when we're done with that, then the fun part happens where we count down each of our top five things in that category. So top five movies, top five television shows, top five video games, etc. You get it. My name is Matt. With me is Mike, as usual. I'm Mike. He's Matt. Uh, this is the Media Boat Podcast 2020 Year End Wrap-Up. If you don't want to hear uh, everything that we covered, or if you've been following along and want to just skip right to the end, go to the one-hour mark. That should be about <laughs> where uh, we'll have our story of the year and then get into the nitty-gritty of our picking Media Boat's uh, topic of the year topic yeah. video game uh, thought topic, topic of the year that's that probably good um so just a little editor's note before we start our start our process here is that we are not going to do film first we traditionally do movies first because we always do movies first on the podcast but because of 2020 being a very unique year for movies a lot of the big heavy hitters that we were planning on having in our wrap-up this year are have not out yet. They haven't been released. This includes uh, Disney Pixar Soul, which is due out on Christmas Day, as well as Warner Brothers uh, Wonder Woman 1984, also on the Christmas holiday. So we have opted to record that podcast for y'all last. So we will not be starting with film instead, because as Mike put it before we started recording, because of the crazy mixed up year that 2020 has been, we're going to do a crazy mixed up format. We're going to start with video games and work our way back to film. So you're going to have a total of six, no. No, we'll do five. Five podcasts, five podcasts. We're going to go video games, music, television. Then we'll do a film. Uh, movies. Well, you're, the order you're hearing is this. Then we'll do movies. And then at the end, we have a special podcast where we look forward to the mythical year of 2021, where we make predictions, we look at what's on the release category, uh, cal calendar, and yeah, just think about the future. 
for a second. So Right, and all of these will be released between Christmas Day and New yes. Year's. So following Christmas Day, you will get this podcast, then music, uh, TV, movies, our normal podcast on Wednesday the 30th, followed by our look forward to 2021 on December 31st as we head into the new year. Yeah. I think that covers all our bases. I think so. And we can start. Um, yes, I think we're good. So, like I said, the first thing we're going to do here, let me, uh, real quick, this is going to be great for the audio, open up cold one here. That's a Diet Coke, don't worry, I'm not drinking on the podcast, it's, it's 10.44 in the goddamn morning. Um, <laughs> and Hey, you do you. Exactly. To you. 2020 has been a messed up year. Uh, but yeah, we're going to start by recapping the year in video games. Yep, we're going to talk about video games today. Uh, so yeah, we'll recap the year, pick a topic, and then we'll go into our top five. So let's yep. get started in the... So cue audio transition of yes. going back into memory that is January yes. 2020. Wait, let's, yeah, I was going to say, I was... You stole stole it. I was literally going to do, let's do the Wayne's World transition. Well, you know, you, you just do it automatically. Yeah, automatically. That's what you imagine in your head happening. Yeah. Okay, so yes, January 2020, a different time, a pre-pandemic world where we could still go out and see people and we were still doing this podcast in person. And yeah, think about that. Yeah, and a time back when Uncharted was still not a thing. Mm-hmm. The movie, of course, the yes. movie version of Uncharted. Right, as the long troubled production uh, with Tom Holland attached lost yet another director, only for the Bumblebee director, Travis Knight, to be the latest one to leave. And that would kind of be the running joke of they can't find a director yeah. for the past three years. The story of this film has been yes, it's just a revolving door of directors, a further pushed back release date. Uh, we're supposedly going to see this thing next year as I believe they did, they have almost finished shooting it or are shooting it. So set uh, by the time uh, 2020 ended, they did find a director and they were starting to shoot. Uh, set photos from that film had been released. Yes. But we have not seen a trailer yet. We have seen footage of Tom Holland as Nathan Drake Without the half-tucked shirt, though. wonder if that's going to be a reveal later in the movie. And we've seen um, Marky Mark Sully at this point. So, but that's it. That's all we've seen. So, yeah, we just have to wait until this movie gets released. Which, right. who knows. <laughs> um, and as we move into January, we get into probably the start of what I'm going to start calling the stories stories of the year. Okay. And that is the console releases. That is yes. the PS5 and the Xbox Series X. Yeah, what a roller coaster ride. <laughs> yep. As Sony had revealed the PS5 logo at CES 2020. <laughs> what? I'm just laughing because the sad state of affairs that was the early part of the console releases we didn't know anything about these things so just the idea that the first big story was hey we have a logo at a sony is just hilarious to me it really encapsulates the feeling of this whole this whole year right i mean we started off with the logo which 
I mean, we got the specs before it, mm-hmm. and then we got the logo, and then we got more spec release until we finally got a box before we got a release date like two weeks prior to the launch. Yes. This all didn't all happen in January, just to be clear. No, no, just a f- we're flowing through the year here, so. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. And we also move into, uh, oh, yeah, E3. Or was it? Or was it, as Sony <laughs> had initially planned E3 uh, plans back in 2020, or back in January. But we'll get to actual E3 plans as we go Well, along. the new story there was that they weren't going again. Um just like 2018 or 2019, they were announcing that they were not going to be at the show. Of course, we now know that there was no show, but at the time it was still news because Sony was basically, that was basically Sony double downing on their whole like vote and no confidence on E3 as a format for them. Uh, turned out though, nobody had it. So it was okay. <laughs> I mean, they did have stuff to show off and people were looking yeah. forward to the PS5 being there. But like you said, they weren't going to have an official press conference. I think that was the official story. Yeah, they which uh, and presence and booth on the sh- at the show. That was the other half of it. Is that there was no booth at the show? Right, and then we got into, I guess what would become PC Game of the Year. I don't remember if this actually won, but Horizon Zero Dawn came to the PC. Finally, it did. It did win. Win what? I thought didn't it win PC Game of the Year? For who? For Game Awards. The Game Awards have not occurred. No, no, the other Game Awards, the Golden Joystick. Oh, I don't. I didn't check all the nominees. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> so don't ask me. I don't know. Um, I heard that that thing, uh, when it did launch, um, was a big power strain on PCs and it was very buggy. Um, so I don't know uh, how many people actually enjoyed playing it on the on the personal computer so jury's out on that one right and then we get into february where blizzard released warcraft 3 colon reforged yeah Um, and nobody cared nope this was supposed to be their classic mode of old azeroth of warcraft and it went exactly as people thought it would when you give it to Blizzard Activision, because there was the community beforehand that was trying to keep that alive until they forced closed them down because they were just going to do the exact same thing. Yeah. It's just the the long fall of Blizzard was one of the more interesting things to happen over the last couple of years. I think we mostly talked about it last year, uh, but we saw kind of the residual effects of it this year, where more people got laid off, more uh, people left the company um, in important roles. You saw most recently and toward the end of the year, um, new companies being formed by ex-Blizzard employees and poaching a lot of former uh, Blizzard people uh, for those new projects. So the future of Blizzard is a big question mark at this point. Remember, they're supposed to still be releasing a Overwatch 2 at some point. Wait, was that not released? I thought that was no. Alpha, right? No, no. No, no one's played that thing. It does not exist yet. They announced it and they've left it. Yeah, they haven't said anything about it since. I thought there was an alpha released for players. No. No? Nothing. Ooh. Not as far as I know. Because I know that was a big shakeup this year that, that it was Overwatch 2 
the sequel. Yeah, I know when it got announced, but we haven't, there's nothing has happened since. Mm. That's the thing. So who knows what that even is at this point? I mean, I don't know if people are going to be into it anymore. I mean, yeah. You need something to get people back. The first one still exists. You can still play it. So, right. Uh, We also had the studio behind Need for Speed Burnout taking over as. Uh, developer Ghost Games is scaling down. And that was kind of a common thing of studios scaling down and laying off people. Yeah. I mean, with a year as difficult as this one, um, the entire process of game development kind of changed. So you did see a lot of people realizing that the way that they could work inside offices just wasn't going to fly from work from home. And so I think ultimately... It meant downscaling, it meant changing release dates, it meant a whole lot of shakeup all the way up to the big console releases, which also got shaken up. Right. And here back in February, we have the first, I guess, the first actual cancellation of Sony not attending PAX East due to increasing concerns related to the coronavirus. Oh, yeah. And they were ahead of the game when you think about it. I know, back did, in February. Yeah, they did actually uh, end up having that PAX East still. People did go to that conference. That was the last of its kind, though. Right. I mean, the last actual in-attendance conference. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot of developers pulled from that show, so it's very sparsely populated, but it did still happen. Right. And I guess we should probably make that note that while coronavirus will appear periodically throughout these podcast stories we're going to try and not make it the main focus because that is obviously <laughs> like the big overarching thing i mean i i think it's going to be hard not to because it does kind of affect a lot of these stories like if it if it's the reason for something happening i feel like we have to bring it up well like this that's <laughs> the reason Sony yeah. pulled out right i'm just saying like we're not gonna purposefully avoid it i think that would be disingenuous but no but like over the course of the year i did try and not say it during our normal podcast i just called it the pandemic the the thing it's happening over there everywhere (laughs) but yeah it's it's i mean yeah if we were in a podcast not about media that's definitely the biggest story of the year (laughs) but hey Uh, and then we had um probably one of nintendo's nintendo's biggest um releases this year released back in march and leading up to it in february animal crossing new horizons yes Uh, as every time they put out a nintendo direct related to it immediately like everywhere posting about it people were talking about it people were excited for this game and um it delivered i mean we'll talk about it a little bit more later i can guarantee that um but what i will say about this as a news story is that, yeah, uh, Nintendo didn't realize how perfect of a game that was to be released at the perfect time. Like, I think it couldn't have been any more fortuitous situation for them to be in. It was the perfect game for the world when it launched. And yeah, and it's kind of made a ripple through the entire year. The nice thing about it being constantly updated for holiday events is that you're able to come back. And so if you've taken a break from it, it's still there all your favorite 
villagers still hanging out and you could just pop back in do the special um events for the holidays and pop back out and it's like been the perfect little bite-sized game um so yeah it's definitely made an impact and also like made an impact on like internet content too i mean you had a freaking talk show um and what was talk animal talking i think they called yeah, animal it talking yeah that was a which uh gary witta did and just you had celebrities in animal crossing and so it wasn't only just a video game thing it became a viral thing and it just yeah i feel like if you ask most of the like uh, most of the people who play video games in your life uh they probably played a lot of animal crossing this year right and i think that the difference between something like animal crossing where it has seasonal events and marvel's avengers the square enix game where it failed because those weren't seasonal events but rather daily missions and uh-huh. something that forces you to log in and play every day compared to oh we're having it during these two weeks or three weeks allows people to take breaks and not commit fully to one game which is kind of the whole ethos of the animal crossing franchise which has been it's meant for casual consumption it's not hardcore it doesn't expect a lot of you it gives you a lot of time to complete objectives there's no like there's no punishment if you fail there's no failing at all really so yeah i mean it's just a different kind of game and i think it's the perfect game for a lot of people as a salve for the extremely stressful time that people are having and as we end february there were discussions about the game developers conference and e3 going ahead with their conferences, despite uh, growing concerns about the spread of coronavirus, only for the first week of March to come around and E3 yeah. to officially be canceled by its organizers. Yeah, I think what we saw in all industries was by week two of March, pretty much everything was done. Um, I think is what, it, and E3 was exactly the same. I think those talks were just never going to be successful. And ultimately, they made the right, the right call. I think that having E3 um, in the summer would have been a super spreader event, and it would have just been a disaster. Um, I'm glad that they ch- they made the right decision here. Of course, w- this is also an opportunity to talk about the aftermath real quick, because without an E3, the assumption was, uh, going into this, going into March, was oh, that means the video game companies are still going to make all of their announcements in that June timeframe. We just assumed, and the puzzle pieces were start putting together in a way that is that that at least portrayed that the industry was going to be united in that, where it was just going to be like, oh, IGN is doing their own thing, uh, Ubisoft is doing you know a thing, like it was all going to be in that summer time frame, and we're just going to get them all in streaming form on the internet, right? Well, no, turns out that all the teams that were making game trailers and uh, and demos were all breathing a sigh of relief instead and being like, oh, we don't have to be, we don't have to adhere to this summer time frame. We can literally announce our things whenever we want. So instead of having E3 be its own little, little bubble in time, E3-like style announcements happened basically all the way from June into September. <laughs> right, well, because it gave develop, like you said, it gave developers time to yeah. work out their game to prepare proper demos and prepare a proper feature to showcase their games and yeah. showcase development. Now, whether or not you think that was a successful approach, I mean, it depends on who you ask. I think that it was good in a way that we never knew when something was going to hit, but that's also 
a bad thing sometimes when you're thinking, oh man, like why is it taking so long for these people to make these announcements, especially about the new consoles? The fact that we didn't know pricing or release dates until, God, what, late August, end of August? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was just constant like E3 sprinkles. Yeah, but it was just, it's it was frustrating in a lot of ways because you can't exactly expect people to make a pre-order which is another whole story, which we'll get to later, uh, if we don't know how much it's going to cost. So yeah, it was it was good in a way, but also real rough in a way. And it was definitely a crazy story. I think that the entire E3, not E3 video game announcement rollout is definitely eligible, I think, for our story of the year. So let's keep tabs on that one for sure. Okay, because I'm sure we will keep bringing it up from March into June. Mm-hmm. Um, but while we're still in March of 2020, yes. NFL announced that it was teaming up with 2K to create a new non-Madden football game, the first one in yeah. literal years. And we still haven't seen the fruits of this. Uh, no word on whether or not this will be a mobile game, like actual console game or a PC game or what, web thing. We don't know what kind of relationship they have with the league. Uh, we'll probably find out more if I would suggest next year, since we haven't, since we've just been radio silent since. Right. And then we also have Xbox just constantly giving out its specs yeah. throughout March and throughout April as PlayStation would reveal its specs and then Xbox would say, oh, but we have this more specs yeah. than you. Yeah. And this- the basically inside doings of these console was the war itself. <laughs> yeah, which is funny in retrospect, because looking back at this, now that these boxes are out in the wild, people are realizing that what was on paper is not necessarily showing in the games themselves. It seems like the digital foundries of the world are doing comparison videos on a lot of the games that are out now and finding that the Series X versions are often the ones with the more um, issues. Like there's been uh, visual tearing issues apparently with Assassin's Creed Valhalla that are present on Series X that are not on the PS5. So a lot of people um, in like development interviews, developers are saying, oh, well, we had PlayStation dev kits before Microsoft gave us Xbox dev kits, suggesting that even though the Series X is more powerful on paper, developers have not had as much time to take advantage of the weird nuances of that power. So I think it's uh, one of the many reasons why I, why I don't recommend buying any of those boxes quite yet. But also it'll make an interesting 2021 as more developers put out more games, there's more comparisons and we see ultimately which box is superior. But as it stands right now, um, what was we were told for this entire period of time with power of these boxes maybe isn't showing quite yet. I think a lot of that may come from it being Ubisoft, a third-party developer developing for both these games. Mm-hmm. And we'll see the actual power when yeah. first parties yeah. come out because they're solely dedicated to pushing the limits of a single box and not making yeah. sure that their their games can run on both platforms or right. all three. That's true. Yeah, that is true. And then the other half of that is also people are pointing out that the game, the bulk of the games, in fact, most of the games that we're playing right now on those bigger boxes are last gen games that have been 
um, update upgraded basically to play uh, with the increased uh, increased frame rate, increased resolution, etc. They're not games that were made from the ground up for the new consoles. So that's also something to keep in mind. All right, and then as we get into the end of March, the release of Animal Crossing and it being Japan's biggest release for the Nintendo Switch. Yeah, uh, I almost brought this up earlier, but yeah, Nintendo's timing on this ended up benefiting them in the wallet too, because yeah, this was our first of many stories throughout the year about how well New Horizons sold. Uh, at the end of by the end of the year, this thing was uh, Nintendo's what like it was the best selling game on the Switch already. It was the fastest selling game in its series history. Um, and yeah, if you probably took like a top ten list of all time Nintendo games, it's probably in there at this point. It's selling like hotcakes. In fact, I myself have purchased it twice. Uh, I bought it for myself in March, and now I bought a, a version for a family member. Uh, which is sitting behind me right now. So yeah, um, it sold really, gift, really right? well. Huh? Spoiler Christmas gift. Oh, uh, Christmas gift. Not for <laughs> not for uh, anybody who would be spoiled on this podcast, but for somebody else, yes. Right. I'm <laughs> saying not your. You're not. You didn't buy it for a second island. Is what I mean. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, in fact, I'll get into it later. But uh, I haven't played that game in months, so. <laughs> Second Island is not what I need right now. I need to go to my existing island. Myth, they miss me, I'm sure. All right. And then we get into April where we get the first inklings of a Mario style all-star bundle. Yeah. Which ended up being the uh, Super Mario. What did they end up calling that? All-Star. Oh, 3D All-Stars. 3D All-Stars. That's what it was. Um, and yeah, this ended up coming into fruition. It took Nintendo forever to actually announce it. Uh, but eventually it did uh, release, and uh, yeah, I picked that up. And they're fun uh, re like remasters of those games, but that's pretty much all they are. Right, as we called it, it was their worst best kept secret. Best <laughs> exactly. Worst kept secret. Worst kept secret. Because yeah, everybody knew they were going to do it. It was just a matter of them waiting to announce it, which probably all stems from the fact that it was supposed to be announced during that E3 time frame, but Nintendo decided to hold on to it longer than that. Right, and uh, then we get into all the delay of The Last of Us Part Two ah, being delayed yes. and then delayed and delayed. Yeah, this thing was supposed to be early this year and it ended up kind of being summer, um, which I don't know necessarily hurt it at all. Like, thinking back to that game's release, I still think that it would receive the same exact hype and critical reaction that it would have if it was released early in the year. And honestly, it was probably a good call if they were experiencing some issues with coronavirus uh, affecting development, then it was probably good that they were able to have a little extra time um, to work on the finishing touches for it. That being said... Wasn't there also a bunch of news stories coming out about crunch time? Yes, that being said, the other half of that is that this was when our old friend Crunch uh, showed up again uh, in this year. It wouldn't be the first time either. Last of Us Part Two and um, uh, Cyberpunk uh, 2077 are kind of the stories you look at this year when you're talking about rumors of video game crunch. 
I think the Naughty Dog stuff is a little worse when you consider, well, actually, no, they're pretty bad, both of them. Because in both cases, you had creative leads at studios basically say, eh, it's fine. We're not, we're not overworking anybody. They're here because they want to be. They're here because they want to work on this game and they want to put their time into it and make it great. And like, uh, yeah, I don't buy it. So yeah, no, you're right. Whenever... I feel like the story used to be, and I used to be comfortable saying that delays are always good for video games because it only makes them better. But now that we know more about studio uh, conditions, really what delays mean now in 2020 is, no, it's not, it's extra time, sure, on the calendar, but what that means is hardcore hours until that thing is done. Crunch does not go away because a game is delayed. In fact, it's usually doubled, doubled, tripled. So yeah, just uh, real rough stuff coming out of there. And uh, it did definitely affect a lot of people's view of that game when it did come out. Mm -hmm. And then we also have a side story here that involves some (laughs) lawyerist bullish that I'm always fascinated by. Yes, this was one of the more fun stories of the year. One in a bleak year full of bad news. This one was a weird ass, like hilarious story. Right, because the uh, creators of Cooking Mama colon Cookstar, at least the publisher, Office Create, um, said it canceled the Nintendo Switch game due to quality concerns, <laughs> but the publisher Planet Entertainment went ahead and released the game anyways. <laughs> so yeah, there was, a, there was a time period where you could purchase this game digitally or literally physically in retail stores. And it was quickly uh, turned around and canceled. Uh, I actually don't know if this game was ever actually released after that. Um, but yeah, so if you have a copy of, of Cooking Mama Cookstar and it's still not available, then you are holding something very rare that literally no one will care about in a year. Well, unless <laughs> you are someone into Bitcoin because physical copies uh, were rumored that they were using the Switch's processing power to mine cryptocurrency. Yeah, so that was kind of another funny thing. It, that ended up not being true. Uh, I think if they were just really bad games, but yeah. And, oh yeah, and then on top of all of that, apparently the game sucked. So <laughs> yeah, it's just a wonderful story. Every every piece of that was just hilarious. And then we get into, oh yeah, completely off our radars yeah. because we didn't play it, but was big back in April was the release of Final Fantasy VII Remake. Yeah, no, you played the demo for this, didn't you? Yes, I played the demo for this. Yeah. Um, uh, and you liked, I remember you liking the demo. Yeah, I liked the demo. I liked what they did, but it's also kind of the same story done well, in just a modern style. Well, no. Apparently that's not true, because the thing, the story about that game, beyond that it sold really well, was that it did it kind of had some fun with the story of Final Fantasy VII. And from my understanding, I'm not going to go into spoilers, although I do know some things. Um, it has a spin on the original story that a lot of people did not expect and ends very, like, it's got a wild ending from what I can tell. Right, but also it doesn't end because this is part one <laughs> yes. of three. Yes, that was the other thing, is that it was finally released after years of being um, kind of tossed around and then confirmed and then delayed and, and yeah, and then split into three parts. 
Um, but the people who did play it liked it and it sold really well. And I think you're going to see it on a lot of people's ear and lists. But yeah, honestly, I'm shocked that you didn't pick this up. Um, why didn't I not pick this up? I think I was busy playing a different game pick while this was out. <laughs> yeah, if I remember correctly, at the time you're we talking about it, you kept saying like, oh, I don't know. I'm going to wait like a little bit, maybe pick that up. And it, you just never did. And I just never did. Oh, no, that's <laughs> all right. When they announced that it was in three parts. Yeah. And then uh, because we had the new consoles coming out, I was going to wait for them to just release them all three at once and then play all three episodes at once. Problem with that is, is that who knows when that's going to be. Right. And also the problem with that is that that all of a sudden becomes 500 hours of gameplay <laughs> have to yeah. go through. Honestly, I think you should, uh, the first like sale, I think you should pick it up. Uh, I mean, I always keep my eye out for stuff that goes on sale. Yeah. Um, like well, Marvel's um, Avengers is clearly on sale right now because no one's playing it. <laughs> well, I mean, we'll see as the, we go into uh, the, the holidays here, I'm sure. I'm sure it'll pop up. Oh, I'm sure it will. Uh, let's see. We also have um, our Animal Crossing's first updates with Nature Day. And May Day and Museum Day. And the Assassin's Creed Valhalla trailer was also back in April. Yeah, they uh, kind of confirmed that it was Viking themed. They confirmed the name um, and kind of gave us the idea of what it would be. And yeah, that game seems to be uh, really um, people who are into the more recent um, Assassin's Creed games seem to be digging it, uh, but it seems enormous. People are saying that you get to like the 40 hour mark and you're still not even like halfway done. Hmm. <laughs> that could be a good or bad thing. Exactly. <laughs> Depending on who you are and how much time you have. <laughs> right. And as we end April, uh, the last of us part two leaks that kind of dominated the summer as the game was delayed yeah. and released due to, unsatisfactory employees yeah this was kind of a weird story because um it basically spoiled the entire story to a lot of people of the game although after the game was released it was found out that that spoilery breakdown was not 100 accurate but did have a lot of of the story beats in it suggesting it may have been an earlier version of the script that was adapted later that being said, it meant that there was a period on the internet where it was really easy to run into Last of Us spoilers. And so a lot of people were who cared about the game and wanted to fresh wanted to come into it fresh were had to avoid social media entirely to avoid it. Not fun. Right. And then we get into May, where the first of the financial impacts for yeah. uh, the coronavirus start to hit. Yeah. Started seeing a lot of announcements from different studios uh, saying like, all right, this thing, we're going to push it back. All these things are pushed back. We're not going, we're going to be very careful with what we release, which is ultimately what led to 2020 being kind of a sparse release year. Uh, The things that mattered came out, like your sport, EA sports stuff, your Maddens, uh, your Call of Duty, your Assassin's Creed, as we mentioned, all this stuff was released, but the smaller kind of uh, like more, um, I don't know, B-tier games from those AAA studios are all probably in development, like, purgatory. If it wasn't an annual release or Mm -hmm. something that was already bookmarked for this year, 
it just probably got put on the back burner. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then we have uh, the Epic Game Store, which wait, was that released this year or last year? No, no, no. The Epic stuff actually uh, was of the big story last year. I That's think true. you saw the announcements for the Epic Game Store at the Game Awards 2018. And so that was a 2019 calendar year uh, phenomenon. But um, it's still it's still around, still getting exclusive deals, uh, and got an interesting uh, wrinkle here. The story that you were going to talk about is that they decided that they're going to do refunds in the way that um, that uh, Steam does, except a little better. Uh, right, yeah, that's what I'm reading here in our yeah. uh, year of the end notes wrap up. Yeah about um, them being better at refunds than, say, Steam. Yeah. Ultimately, this, uh, the, I feel like the heat has a little calmed down a little bit over the course of the year about the Epic Games Store. The story last year was that fans would become very angry and up in arms when exclusive deals happened or free games were there that weren't available elsewhere, etc. And I think what we're seeing now is it's just good competition for Steam. It's like a solid store uh, with good deals the fact that they do free games every once in a while instantly makes them more lucrative than Steam is. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's a, given a lot of people opportunity to play smaller or even bigger games for free for um, just being a member of their store. So I think that it's a really strong marketplace that's only getting better. Mm -hmm. And then uh, bringing Blizzard back into the fold here <laughs> where they canceled BlizzCon 2020. Yeah, it's uh, definitely, again, good call. Also, I can't imagine what they would have had to announce. <laughs> well, the other side is I don't know what they have anymore. Overwatch 2. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, and then we get into June and the non-E3, all-E3 yeah. kind of lineups. Yeah, like I said, you did have some announcements taking place in that June window. But for the most part, though... Um, National events kind of took the first, uh, took the, uh, took the everybody's attention and it made it difficult to focus on video games. Right. Uh, uh, the George Floyd protests and the yes. Black Lives Matters protests right. um, allowed uh, the video games to put their stuff on hold to focus yeah. on a national matter. Yeah, pretty much everybody took a pause that entire month. And so stuff that was supposed to happen was pushed back. Um, and for good reason. I mean, this was an important movement that kind of framed uh, 2020 um, as a year where we're just sick of shit. Like, we're just sick of it. Like, I think a lot of people who needed to stand up for rights, stand up for justice, um, did so this year and put their, and a lot of people uh, put their money where their mouth is and supported this as well. And um yeah, I think that just it's one of the many reasons this year will be a fascinating year for a lot of years, or for a lot of reasons. Well, I mean, as we've been saying off podcast, you could fill an entire, an entire college <laughs> course on just 2020. Oh, could you? Yes. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, let's see, what else did we have in June with PlayStation being delayed and delayed and PlayStation um, 5? bits eventually yeah 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 we we learned a lot in in june about the uh the about what the playstation 5 will look like with games for the first time they showed off games uh they showed off that miles morales morales would get be getting his own spider-man spinoff uh which 
has now been released to critical acclaim. We saw the first uh, footage of Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, and it was kind of the first example of that quick SSD loading uh, that pretty much eliminated loading times. And it was the first time we actually saw it working in a game that looked really cool. And we got the first song iteration of Bug Snacks. <laughs> yes, and Bug Snacks, the hottest jam of the year. Definitely my summer jam 20, uh, 2020. Um, and yeah, and some games that we haven't seen yet, like Goodbye Volcano High, the sequel to Horizon, uh, New Gran Turismo, uh, Ghostwire Tokyo, a lot of stuff that a lot of people are still looking forward to in the new uh, generation that are all going to be 2021 games. So stuff to look forward to. Right. And then uh, also in June, we had the first uh, Inklings, our release of Destiny 2 colon Beyond Light which you yes. got into this year. Yes, so Beyond Light uh, was announced here, but the more important thing about this story back in June was their announcing of the Content Vault. This was basically uh, Bungie saying that they were going to vault away most of the planets and missions related to those locations away from the game, basically making the game smaller and more focused on the new content. So fans were kind of divided about this. A lot of people were like, oh, how am I going to get my old stuff? How am, I gonna, how am I going to do these old raids that I love doing with my friends? And other people embraced it uh, and said, hey, if this means that they can make better, more dedicated and focused content going forward, then this is, this is good news. So yeah, this has all happened now with the release of, um, release of the new expansion. And I think ultimately, I think it was a good call. Uh, they made it, as I mentioned last week on the proper podcast, uh, is that they, they made it still accessible to get some old um, exotics and stuff that you couldn't get anymore now that the locations are vaulted. So it's a good balance of making sure you, it's still the game that you love, but also keeping it fresh. And I think it was a good call. And then we get into fake E3, where <laughs> stuff just dropped sporadically including yes. the announcement of a new Pokemon Snap for the Switch. Yeah, which they originally said was going to be a 2020 calendar year thing, and it is not, apparently. It's okay, because we got <laughs> Pokemon Cafe Mix and Pokemon yeah. Smile. Yeah, which mm, Cafe Mix I was really disappointed in, and Pokemon Smile I literally just have kind of being used as an alarm for when I have to get out of bed. <laughs> It's like, oh, my Pokemon smile is going off. That means I got to get up, brush my teeth, make my tea, get to my desk. <laughs> we also have the itch.io bundle for racial justice oh, and equality, which raised $8 million. This was a highlight of my year. It was a, it was kind of the thing that planted the seed in my brain that maybe I should get a PC that can run games, which is something I ultimately chose to do. Uh, but yeah, it was a great way to try all sorts of different indie games that have been released over the course of the year by only spending just a little and knowing that your money was going to a good cause. So it was a crazy good deal, like thousand plus games in this pack. So if you missed out on that, you really missed out on something cool. Uh, we also had the leak and then ultimate reveal of Star Wars Squadrons, which would come out later this year. Yeah. Not this year. Yeah. Some people really like that game. Mm -hmm. And then uh, wrapping up E3 Pokemon news, <laughs> the 5v5 MOBA Pokemon oh, Unite. <laughs> I had forgotten that that was this year. Yes, we still haven't seen the release of that thing. So I would put that as a next year 
uh, deal. But yeah, um, a Pokemon MOBA could be something very, very huge. Right. It was the one game that I saw from them that would get me to play a MOBA MOBA, because it was easy to understand. It was something that I knew, something Mm -hmm. that I could grasp onto and be like, oh, that's all it is. Right. That is simplified enough for me to want to play it. Yeah, we'll talk about it a little later in our top fives, I'm sure. But I think 2020, looking when we look back at it, was the year that a lot of video games changed my perspective on certain genres I thought I would hate. Again, we'll talk about more about that later. <laughs> right. And then um, that brings us into July, where The Last of Us Part Two was finally released. Yes. To... The fastest selling exclusive. Yeah, it sold really well. Uh, more than 4 million copies as of June 21st uh, for the PS4. And yeah, um, like I said before, pretty much got the critical reception we expected. Uh, the sites that we assumed that were going to love it, loved it. And I think you saw an ideological debate after its release about its approach to storytelling and whether or not that was a good thing overall for video games or a bad thing. You also saw, of course, a lot of internet dogpiling by people who thought it was um, like, you know, talks like, like it was toxically feminist and stuff like that. All the idiots came out, basically showed their full ass and talked about how uh, like- The bad side of Twitter came out. Yeah, exactly. But then on the flip side of that, you had really good conversations about its about its portrayal of um, of LGBTQ themes, about its portrayal of violence, about its portrayal of of just its nihilist bleakness, um, and yeah, so I think that it made an impact in just the conversations that happened about it, as well as being a game that people loved. Um, we'll talk about it more, I'm sure, in our top fives. <laughs> Or maybe, maybe not. Actually, I don't know. I'm assuming we will. Well, we'll also, I'm sure we'll be talking about Animal Crossing as that continuously yeah. dropped updates uh, throughout summer. Yep. Uh, and then we also had uh, Xbox being interested in buying Warner <laughs> Interactive. Which ended up being a giant goose egg because this did not happen. Ultimately, I think AT&T realized that they were sitting on something with value. And so they took back... Um, the idea of selling off the Warner Interactive properties and is uh, going to keep them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also had uh, Evo 2020 being canceled. Yeah. But this was following ag- allegations of abuse by the organizer, uh, yes. Joey Siller. Uh, Kuller? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, uh, this was kind of a combo story. <laughs> combo story, get it, fighting game. <laughs> Um, because yeah, it would have been fall, uh, canceled anyways, but they were planning on doing a internet version. But once these um, allegations of abuse came out, they decided to just trash the whole thing. So this was the first year without an Evo in a long, long time. Um, so the fighting community is still, I think, reeling from this. I think 2021 will be interesting because we'll see whether or not they rebuild the Evo uh, into something new without the leadership from before and and so yeah it'll be interesting to see what they do all right and then we also had uh ubisoft's inner turmoil boy as new leadership in the canadian studio studios um didn't go quite so well so yeah um 
this is kind of a big story that I think is related to the, one of our biggest stories last year, which was uh, sexual allegations um, on a grand scale in video game uh, studios. And this year it was all in Ubisoft. Um, Ubisoft had quite a horrendous 2020 um, internally. Because yeah, you had leadership in several different studios within the Ubisoft machine uh, having to step down or being fired because of allegations of sexual assault. And then you saw it go up the ladder uh, with every new story about it and ultimately revealing that Ubisoft at its core has issues in its company culture. And so, yeah, they're really gonna have to figure out a way to rebuild uh, because I think the toll that this took on public perception of the studio, I think is going to, or probably already did affect their actual video games and their sales. The dude who would lead develop what lead on the Assassin's Creed Valhalla project even had to step down because of this. Um, so yeah, every tendril of Ubisoft was touched by this, and yeah, the whole company. I think it will never be the same after this. And this was after our one of our big stories from a couple of years ago of them assuming total independence and finally avoiding being uh, absorbed by the Vivendi machine. Vivendi. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> so the fact that they basically took that freedom and independence and squandered it by by having these allegations and by like this developing a toxic company culture, it sucks. And I think it's really soured people on Ubisoft as a studio as a whole. Right. But that's also something that doesn't happen overnight. Right. No, it was something that's been clearly growing for a very long time within the studio, and they need to figure out how to purge it. And then moving in to the end of June, uh, just more Xbox news and Xbox as a service trying to be the go-to for, yeah. uh, for Phil Spencer. Yeah, I mean, Phil kind of pounded on this drum through the entirety of 2020. I mean, you saw the beginnings of this before this. Like, I think we even talked about in 2019 a little bit in our wrap-up podcast about how they were reframing Microsoft as less of just Xbox as a console and Xbox as a service. And ultimately it came to fruition in 2020. We don't quite have xCloud running the way that it's going to be. Like we don't have like apps everywhere on every device quite yet for their xCloud streaming. But we've started to see xCloud and people are saying that it works really well. And the Xbox Series X and S um, are taking advantage of Game Pass in a way that we've never seen before, in a way that does offer games from their first party studios on whatever device you own, whether it be something running xCloud or a PC or an Xbox Series S, X or One S, X. And yeah, I think that they're really, that this has brought them to a place where they've really differentiated their messaging from Sony. And I think it was good timing for that to too, because Sony in the other corner is saying we believe in generations. They're saying that the PlayStation 5 is its own environment that you have to get a PlayStation 5 to enjoy. Whereas Microsoft is like, hey, however you want to enjoy our games, come on in. So it's really put all three of the major console players, Nintendo, Microsoft, and Sony, for the first time since like I can remember, completely diametrically opposed. 
like there are three very different concepts of what video console video gaming is and i don't think we've ever seen that before last year's one of last year's big stories was the cross-platform gaming where you could play on xbox and switch and play together yeah and sony was the one being left out yeah and it and it only continued that way. Like, I think the story with Sony is they're trying to, I think they were trying to slowly shake off this, this monolithic, like, um, vision of, of them as a company kind of standing over by themselves, independent, apart from the rest of the industry. And I think ultimately to succeed in the coming generation, they might have to change that because I think that what gamers want now is more freedom, more options. And with Sony still being stagnant about these things, uh, it's probably going to hurt them in the long run. That being said, Sony is banking on single player games, which so far on the PS5 seems to be working. I mean, yeah, I mean, for launch, like launch wise in, indeed is working because the story at launch was Xbox can really play old games really well. But the story at launch about PlayStation five was, yeah, but Spider-Man's really good. And so, yeah, you do see like their focus on exclusives paying off at least for now. Uh, it'll be an interesting 2021 to see how those things shake out. Right. And then um, wrapping up July Xbox had its online E3 yes. at the end of July. Yes. Um, Halo Infinite. <laughs> so yeah, they announced quite a few things at this thing. Um, uh, the Tetris Effect Connected uh, the announcement, of course, was my personal favorite. And then some small stuff like the new Forza, uh, Tell Me Why, uh, which ended up being uh, released shortly after um, from uh, Don't Nod. And then, but the biggest story that came out of this thing was what happened immediately after, uh, well, not immediately, maybe a week after this show. They did show footage of Halo Infinite. The internet freaked out. Apparently, they uh, the consensus of the trailer was that it wasn't up to snuff and that a lot of the visuals were underwhelming. It didn't look next-gen enough. Week later, the aftermath of this is kind of like clearing out, and then all of a sudden, it's delayed. And... Boom. There's no Halo Infinite in 2020. And, right. and Xbox that was our, Series X loses a launch title. And that was our biggest story going August. into August as yeah. we come towards the last quarter of uh, the year here. Before we totally move on to August, I want to mention one thing uh, that was at the end of July that you have, because I think this is one of the biggest stories of the year, easily. The Nintendo GigaLeak. Oh, the source code for yes. all the classic Nintendo games. So yeah, what became known as the Giga Leak uh, was just like somebody found a bunch of stuff from old Nintendo games, uh, data from Nintendo 64 stuff. Later, they found uh, data for Game Boy Advance games like Pokemon uh, Ruby and Sapphire. And like, yeah, people were finding literal source code, all sorts of unused assets, weird ass looking Yoshis. (laughs) Um, And yeah, it kind of became this fast, like object of fascination for the internet, especially like big Nintendo fans, because it showed a side that of Nintendo that Nintendo doesn't like to show off. Their internal documents, their planning stages for their things. Nintendo likes to put out their products as, you know, these complete 
immaculate things, not projects that have been worked on on and off for years. And so to, see, to get a, like just a little peek inside of the process was fascinating. Of course, on the flip side, you do say you have a lot of people that were angry about these leaks saying that, well, if Nintendo didn't want these released, this should be illegal. This should be like an invasion of privacy. A lot of developers came out, hey, if somebody found my notes that I made about a project and put them out for everybody to see, I would be pissed. And so, yeah, we did have a conversation out of, that came out of this about whether or not these leaks should be praised, whether or not we should be happy to see a peek behind the curtain from these giant corporations. And so, yeah, it was definitely one of my, I think one my uh, personal most interesting stories of the year. Right, but it's also one of those things where, do you wanna know how the sausage gets made? <laughs> some people do, some people don't. I think, honestly, I think it depends on who you are. Well, I think it also um, depends on what type of topic you're talking about. Cause like, <laughs> you're going like behind the scenes movies. Yeah, I'm interested in that stuff. I'm yeah. sure, like, I'm sure there are plenty of people who are interested in the behind the scenes of making video games. Yeah. Yeah, I think this revealed that there are people who fall on either side of that right. issue. And then we get into August, as I said, and yes, Halo Infinite decided to delay till 2021. Yeah, and we still don't know exactly when in 2021 that this game is due. But we do know is that it's had quite a tumultuous development history. I think Halo Infinite itself could be eligible for Story of the Year just with how crazy it's been. Not only did it get delayed, but it's also lost another director uh, since this story ran. Um, so just, it's a game that nobody can figure out how to complete it. Um, which makes right. sense when you think about it, because it's a marquee Microsoft title that they wanted to be the flagship game for the Xbox Series X's launch. And Halo, as a franchise, is not at its peak anymore. Uh, I think since the heydays of the 360, um, the releases of, in the Halo franchise after your Reaches, your ODSTs, your Halo 3s, have only gone down in like critical reception. So if they're going to make Infinite matter, it has to be great. And in order to make Halo Infinite great in work from home situations, they needed more time. And so I think ultimately, yes, it was a good call to delay it. But with every new story that comes out of this thing being negative, who knows what this thing is? Speaking of negative reception, on the other side of that console war with Sony, they locked Spider-Man away in the uh, Marvel's Avengers game to the PlayStation community. Yeah, uh, the internet was a little angry about this, but I think that that ultimately subsided after the game was actually released and ended up being kind of a middling kind of product. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think people care as much as they did back then. Right. And okay, I'm going to throw this as possible <laughs> game of the year because you know where I'm going with this. Story of the Story year. Story of the for year. Sure is definitely, yeah, this is definitely eligible. Yeah. Uh, this is, of course, Fortnite being removed from both Apple's App Store and the Google Play Store yes. after Epic introduced its own direct payment system in the game. Or for, uh, Epic did. Yeah, um, yeah the, this, of course, um, snowballed 
shortly after. Apple removed it from their store. Google, uh, Google Play removed it from their store. And then shortly after, you saw Epic suing both of those companies um, over this. And what it created was this um, still ongoing legislation between Epic and these companies um, going to court cases and basically the conversation being, does do these app store companies have an unfair monopoly when it comes to selling video games on their stores? So initially it looked like Epic was on the right side uh, in this fight. Um, when you look at it from when it started, Epic was making the argument that Apple's policies were uh, put a stranglehold on developers and how much money they could make. They take a large chunk of royalties on each of the sales. Later in the year, we also saw Nintendo kind of, or not Nintendo, Microsoft uh, getting into hot water in, in, in a similar way with the app stores when it was revealed that they were not going to approve an xCloud app because Apple wanted a piece of the a piece of the purchase price on every single game individually, not just xCloud as a product. And so the conversation did swing to, does Apple really have too much power in this situation? And the argument is probably yes. And that does affect a lot of smaller development, uh, developers that don't have the money that Epic does that are getting most of their sales uh, kind of usurped by Apple, Apple storefront. As the legal story goes on, though, you see Epic kind of maybe not being as um, fighting for the little guy <laughs> as they were initially, because they kind of took advantage of this and tried to use it as a, like, as a PR stunt. You saw this from the onset with them making an awful parody video of the 1984 commercial for the Macintosh. Mm -hmm. Then you saw this later with... Um, uh, Epic had uh, Tim Sweeney coming out with really awful comments about comparing this fight to the civil rights movement, which is like really cringy. Um, so yeah, they're not really making um, a good impression, I think, uh, with the story as much as they could be. So ultimately, we won't see the results of this until sometime next year, because this is ongoing this is an ongoing story, but man, it definitely was a weird one to watch. No, and I think it is does deserve to be up there for story of the year because of the yeah. impact that it had. I mean, it yeah. forced Apple to change its ways. Yes. I think it's one of the reasons why Apple, you can get the Apple TV on a console now for Xbox and PlayStation. Possibly. Uh, we did also have, um, they did... Uh, slash the royalty payments for a certain level of um, developer on the app store. This was a couple weeks ago. So if you're making a certain, like under a certain amount of money, you are eligible for lower rates now, which is maybe something they wouldn't have done if this wasn't brought to the forefront. That being said, Epic is still not happy because they're still not able to do the thing that they want to do with their game. So until that gets resolved, I don't think we're going to see the end of this legislation. Uh, parallel to this, it is important to note that over in Europe, the European government's already having their own uh, kind of picking apart of Apple and uh, for monopoly, like for their monopoly over the App Store. And we'll see, I'm sure, more results on that in the coming year as well. Right. This was kind of like the hammer to the head. Yeah. 
Moment. This was the thing that got a lot of people looking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is also kind of our opportunity to talk about the year that Fortnite has had because it was already huge going into 2020. But I think that the events that happened within Fortnite, this event that like this, um, this kind of being a big pervasive news story and just their constant updates have made Fortnite even more of a uh, force to be reckoned with in this year. If it wasn't already the biggest game in the world, it definitely would be now. Uh, I've heard more, yeah, just more stories about Fortnite than ever before. The crossover events that they've been having Mm -hmm. uh, leading into last year with Marvel MCU to basically all of Marvel at this point with the X-Men and Galactus to even just a week ago, they have they had announced that Kratos from God of War <laughs> is going to be crossing over into Fortnite. Yeah, they're kind of making it into this every universe exists in this in this game kind of thing. Which hey, if you have the money to do it, I guess why not, right? Um, so yeah, why it's why it's not while it's not a game that I want to play, I think it's interesting that they're doing all this wild stuff with it. Right. And then we had the uh, moving on, I guess. We can move on, right? Yeah, yeah, we're good. Okay. And then we have the last of the E3 bits in August, which was Warner Brothers Games announced the Rocksteady's Suicide Game and Warner Brothers Montreal's uh, Batman Arkham Knights or Gotham Gotham Knights. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, two Batman games kind of coming from different angles. I think the uh, the Suicide Squad game was going to two be... Two DC games, not Batman. The Suicide Squad is not a Batman game. It's a <laughs> yeah, DC game. I, yeah, close enough. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. But yeah, uh, they're both going to have like games as a service kind of things in it, but they are going to be different approaches. Uh, but yeah, I think they seem interesting and then we'll see them next year. Yep. And then for those of you on the PC side, September was a big month as NVIDIA announced the latest in a new range of graphics cards for the RTX 30 series. Yes, uh, this kind of was a huge story because it was the first update in a few years. Uh, major update for the for the NVIDIA line. Major update. Yep, major update. Um, and I think that the two takeaways were one, that the prices were lower than anybody expected, uh, especially considering the upgrade in the power that you get. And the second big takeaway is that still to this date, recording here in December, they are still impossible to get uh, people who are trying to track down 3080s, especially uh, the big the big powerhouse of the bunch is um, really hard to, to, to pre-order and uh, to get it on, uh, get a hand on. So uh, yeah, even if you want one of these things, they're really hard to find. So good luck. <laughs> yeah, and then we get uh, in September the first price point of yes. the Xbox Series X and uh, Series S rather with yes. 299 price point and the Xbox Series X for 499. Yeah, I think the story here was that everybody expected Series X to clock in at 500, but nobody expected the Series S to be so affordable. I think what they're what they set up with the Series S at $300 is puts it in parity with the Nintendo Switch, if you can believe it, and also um, makes it way more affordable to get into the next generation of video games. Right, and as Xbox tries to get into the Xbox, people to sign up for Xbox game pass Mm -hmm. or the ultimate game pass 
that if you're going to get, as I said back when this was announced, a console for the holiday, you get the Series S and then you get the Game Pass and you just push it together. Here you go. Infinite games for a year. Yeah. So it did make, I think this made the S a more lucrative uh, product than it would have been otherwise for a lot of people. Of course, now after the boxes are out, we now know more about the difference between the two. And some people are saying that there are some uh, real hits, big graphical hits that Series S performance takes compared to Series X, which is understandable. But the biggest hit uh, that we now know on the Series S's affordability is its storage size. Um, you only get a portion of that advertised 500 uh, gig SSD. Uh, people are specking it at about 300 and something, I believe, uh, actual gigs of storage. So with games like Call of Duty Black Ops clocking in at 100 plus gigabytes, that's some significant real estate taken up on your SSD. Then on top of that, the expansion SSD card that they're selling to plug into the box to give you an ex another terabyte of memory is $200. So that's pushing the $299 price point up to the $500 price point that you would have paid if you had bought a Series X, which already had a terabyte. So Series S, yes, is affordable by itself. But if you're somebody who wants to spit, like have more than like five games on it, that price goes up. <laughs> and then counter to that, since Xbox revealed its hand, <laughs> PlayStation revealed its yes. hand with the digital version being at $399 and a disc version at $499. Yes, uh, PS5 coming in with price parity to the Xbox Series X was not what we expected. Everybody was talking about the PS5 being um, the more expensive box, waving around the $599 number. Uh, and so coming in lower than that did surprise a lot of people. And coming in even lower than that with the digital no disc edition at $400 made PS5 a little bit more price, like a better priced out than the Xboxes, uh, which was impressive. Um, that, uh, yeah, so like, I think that the discless PS5 is probably the best deal out of all the consoles when you think about it. And not to be outdone, Nintendo did announce a 35th anniversary for Super Mario Brothers yeah. uh, celebration with a lot of Mario themed games. Yeah. This is when they confirmed the release of 3D All-Stars. This is when they announced uh, Super Mario 35 for the Switch and Mario Kart Home uh, Live Home Circuit, which was the RC car version of Mario Kart released for the Switch uh, later in the year. But the thing that kind of shadowed over all of these announcements was the peculiar um, idea of releasing them for a limited time. Everything but Mario Kart uh, that I talked about has a dead date of March 31st, 2021, which means you will not be able to own 3D All-Stars digitally re or physically or uh, Super Mario 35 via the, the online store uh, after that date. Why Nintendo is doing this is still not clear, uh, but it's definitely one of the weirder things that happened. It's the <laughs> limited availability model. Right, who knows why? Because money, that's why. <laughs> because money. Um, oh, yeah. And then also, sidely, in VR, Facebook announced the Oculus Quest yeah. 2, uh, which yeah. is their um, cordless VR headset, which I've seen a ton of ads for. 
Yeah. I think that this was a double-edged sword. Uh, people were talking about it being really affordable and really great for what you're, uh, really great, great quality for what you're paying at only $2.99. But then the flip side of it is that this year was also the year where Facebook decided that they would require Facebook accounts for use of the Oculus products, it meant that you could no longer just have an Oculus account without a Facebook account. This has turned off a lot of people because Facebook uh, has only become more and more of a dangerous uh, corporation than ever in the year 2020. And so, yeah, uh, some people are not comfortable making a Facebook account just to play VR. So it's ended up kind of being a weird, weird vibe uh, when it comes to VR this year. Right. And then uh, the last big story in September was Microsoft buying ZeniMax Media, yes. the Bethesda parent company. Who, boy, was this a big surprise. Um, Bethesda isn't only the company that gives you Fallout and uh, Elder Scrolls, of course, they're also a publisher. So the idea of Microsoft buying all of ZeniMax, and the publisher and the development arms, was a big deal. This, of course, led to people speculating that future uh, games from the studio would not show up on Sony platforms. This is still have not borne out of whether that will happen or not. There's been conflicting statements made from Microsoft people themselves about whether that's the case. So 2021 will be interesting to see whether or not they uh, keep all of the Bethesda games under the Microsoft umbrella or not. All right, and don't forget that this is from when Microsoft had the cash to potentially buy yes. TikTok. Yes, yes. That was kind of, they'll come back up, back up in our music podcast for sure. Uh, but yeah, it, it was definitely a year of acquisitions for Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Well, they had the cash on it and someone <laughs> said, hey, ZeniMax there. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, we'll see. We have yet to see, I'm sure, the fruits of that one, but uh, we'll see soon. And then we round out towards the end of the year here with October and a Need for Speed Hot Pursuit coming your way and the new DLC for Super Smash Brothers, where it was Minecraft Steve. Yeah, I think probably the weirdest Super Smash Brothers Ultimate Fighter, I think that out of all of them, uh, was definitely this announcement. The internet freaked out. Uh, Nobody really understood what was happening when it was revealed. But ultimately, looking back, I think it's fine. I think, yeah, if Nintendo wants this thing to be truly like a place where you can play as all of your favorite characters, Nintendo or otherwise, it makes sense for the audience. The audience loves Minecraft. A lot of people love Minecraft. So putting Minecraft in Smash Brothers makes sense. It does add to the ultimate part of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's no need for any more because this one will have everything you need. And then uh, we also had Sony announcing the end of PS3 games. Uh, yeah. At least availability on the PlayStation Store. So kind of the dark side of these um, these console owners keep continuing to upgrade is that older stuff will be lost by the wayside. And we did see this with PS3 games uh, in the form of of their availability on the PlayStation 3 console store as well as the Vita store. Um, basically completely being obliterated. So the only way you'll be able to play PS3 games moving forward, unless you have a PS3 that can run your games natively, um, is going to be through their own store on PS4 and PS5. 
And a lot of those are only available on their streaming service, PlayStation Now. So it makes uh, people who care about PlayStation 3 games, uh, it makes it more difficult for them to play their favorites. Yep. And then uh, Facebook announced its game streaming service. Yeah, which we still have yet to see a whole lot of more information about. I think 2021 will be the year. I think when we're talking about our wrap up a year from now, I think the year in streaming video game streaming services will definitely be a story. Right. Uh, we also have the Halo Director Infinite being yep. uh, Chris Lee. Yep, leaving on the project. And then I think, yes, Take Two Interactive making a couple purchases. Yeah, they bought uh, Ruffian Games. Right, uh, buying Ruffian Games, but also uh, buying Codemasters. Yes, and Codemasters, which was uh, both, I think, strategic moves just to have more, I think, more teams under their, under their, under their, company umbrella to make more games for the next generation of consoles. Right. And then that brings us to the end of November where we get game awards and December where we are now, where Neil Druckmann is officially a co-head of Naughty Dog. Yeah. We've actually just hit in between podcasts. We have yet to report that on a regular podcast at this point. Hey, by the time this goes up, we have reported on it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's true. Uh, But yeah. Um, and yeah, I think that makes sense. I think that you pr- you want to continue promoting the face of your company and more or less, and for better or for worse, Druckmann has been the face of that company. He's the guy you think of when you think of Naughty Dog's games now. So it makes sense to push him up to the top. Right. And that does it for our <laughs> long-winded wrap-up of the year. What a year. I think ultimately looking at it uh, kind of in in recap form um to me i think that the big things that that mattered were just the the pandemic's impact on game development and how that made making announcements even a big question mark this year and not knowing when anything was going to be announced or released and then of course uh stories about development crunch we didn't even talk about through this entire list cyberpunk 2077 but it was a big like continuing story as the year went on just with that thing still as of this recording not being released right and um sorry 277 constantly releasing its night city yeah updates uh via youtube and trying so, yeah, to get people I, excited for it but i think that i think that yeah the two big store the two like big picture things i will say is that like just the constant like effect of the pandemic and then the other side is video games mattering more than ever before. I think between the big heavy hitters this year, between Last of Us Part Two, Animal Crossing, Genshin Impact, Hades, and like, I think between all those games, you see one united theme, which is, oh, and Fortnite, that are more people are playing video games than ever before. They're making more of a cultural impact than they've ever made before. And they're making, and they're coming from all sorts of wild directions. Like the, the fact that we can talk about a free-to-play ch- game from China, a Genshin indie Impact. project, like an indie project from, uh, from a small, up to this point, small developer that's getting more critical reception than ever before. Hades. 80s. A big AAA game that's making some 
real wild swings when it comes to LGBTQ representation and storytelling. Last of Last Us, of Part, Us two. Part Two, and um, and Fortnite making huge headlines when it comes to legal issues and also getting like a story like headlines about its like about major like film directors and artists doing virtual concerts and big crossover events with media properties. Did we even talk about that this year? Was that no, last like, year? But that would happen. That Travis Scott concert was this year. Right. The marshmallow was last year. Yeah, yeah I know. It's like, that was our little tease of what was to come. But yeah, I think that those five things just surmise, like summarize and, and Animal Crossing, the other thing, uh, the Animal Crossing making such a big impact sales-wise and in the culture, I think, yeah. Just, and improving social gaming that, yeah. Yeah. Just video games mattered this year. Yeah, video games mattered in a way that they had never mattered before. And in a console release year, which we didn't even talk about in this list. It's like, yeah, it's just like, yeah. So, okay. What's, what do you think is our, our, our top stories? Hmm. All right. Uh, one, console releases. Yeah. Two, uh, video games as a social outlet. I think uh, just an overarching theme. Yeah. Between Animal Crossing, Genshin Impact, Hades, things that people talked about constantly and got people outside of their bubbles when in a pandemic you can stay in a bubble. Right. And I think three is that the coronavirus changed the way announcements are done. Okay. Those are your top three. Um I think personally, I would take out that social like thing and put the epic uh, Apple lawsuit. Okay. Those I think are the three to me. I think the console launches, the lawsuits, and I think the effect of the pandemic. I think those are your three big stories. But we got to pick one. So, all right, here's my feelings uh, uh, about this. I think that the console launches while they were completely nuts and nothing how we thought we were going to go and just constantly changing throughout the year. I think the reasons behind all of that is directly related to number three. So I think that number yes, three- but we also talked about them the most. Every yes. time we got a new spec update, yes. every time we got a new controller update, every time we got a new logo update, a new box update, we talked about it. You're not wrong, but the reasons why are all related to the pandemic making me think that just the pandemic's effect on literally every ounce of video games announcements and releases this year, I think makes a better, better, uh, makes a better argument. And the Epic Apple stuff, I think is hard for me to recommend this year, even though it is huge because we haven't seen the fruits of it quite yet. We're starting to see Apple change their way, ways and we're starting to see Epic make themselves look worse and worse. Uh, but honestly, I don't think we're going to see really the results of this until 2021. And I, so think I think the Epic lawsuit made an impact, but we've yet to see round two and round three of it. Right. And we'll right. do those for maybe two years. So I think maybe we put a bookmark on that one for a 2021 story. I think this reappears next year. Um, so my opinion, I think it's just the effect of the pandemic on video game development. I think that is the biggest story of the year. It changed how I think development or marketing, all of it. And the reason why I say that is because I think with what it did to the traditional E3, like 
marketing window, announcement window, and release window for video games later in the year, I think it's permanently changed it. I think after this year, I don't know if we see an E3 again. I think because of the effect of this year, it proved that mm -hmm. video game developers, and we're going to kind of have a different version of this conversation in the music podcast, but kind of along the same lines, which is 2020 proved that you can announce a video game whenever the hell you want, release a video game whenever the hell you want, and the sales numbers and critical reception will not change. I think it's given a new freedom for video game developers to make the things they want on their own terms and time period. I think you may be onto something there because <laughs> when people were expecting a huge events for Mario, huge events for Animal Crossing, huge events for The Last of Us, that developers kind of pushed things back so they could have huge events. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, and Madden and FIFA as well, and Pokemon, that because those big events didn't happen, but didn't necessarily affect their sales numbers. Mm -hmm. I think you're onto something there. Yeah, in a year where Animal Crossing is the best, one of the best-selling Nintendo games ever, you have to think about: Did Nintendo need E3? No. Did any of these companies need E3? Probably not. Like, and I think you're going to see that change the way that the industry operates permanently in a lot of ways. Also. Video game developers are now considering the reality of what if our teams did work from home permanently too? You already see the big tech companies making that move with the Googles of the world being like, actually, we're just going to do it no matter what happens. Work from home. It's fine. So that itself is going to change the video game industry as a whole for who knows how many years, decades, you know? What we're seeing is a sea change. And I think it's all, and would, none of it would have happened if the companies weren't forced to change their ways. Mm, no, you're <laughs> right. <laughs> and yeah, I think you can roll in the console, the craziness of the console release here into that because we would have had a very traditional console release here if it wasn't for everything having to change. We would have seen both boxes with prices and release dates in June. We would see big events in big cities, New York, LA, big yeah. concert stuff to who get knows people it, excited. Who knows what those boxes would have looked like if the year had gone without a pandemic? Who knows what games would be out now if it wasn't because of it? Like we may have had Halo Infinite and it may have sucked. Like <laughs> we may have gotten our Series Xs and hated what we played and were disappointed by what we played because there was no reason for them to change. Like they would have never put out and been able to have time to change the game after that release trailer, if probably if it wasn't for the pandemic. All right, so <laughs> official title then, you wanna, yeah, give, you wanna claim it? I think we can claim it, that the, the COVID-19's pandemic, like pandemic's effect on the video game industry is your story of the year. <laughs> Right. I don't want this to be for all the stories of the year. No, I don't think it will be, uh, but it is definitely the story. Right, well, that is the story for what is 2020. <laughs> yes. I think video games, the way they were able to adapt, yeah. change, overcome, and still have a right. successful year despite I mean, all this. I feel like we'll talk a variation about this in movies, but the way that I think that it's different from what it was with movies is that I think movies is changed potentially forever 
but possibly in a bad way. But in video games, I think it's changed forever in nothing but good ways. I will accept that answer. Yeah, I think that changes why. in video games because of a pandemic. Yeah. All right. And um, that is our story of the year. And wow, yeah. we went way over that time there. I knew we would. We always do on these things. <laughs> a lot to talk well, about. Now, I mean, there's nothing left to talk about. Yeah. Except we need to crown a game of the year. We a sure media, do. A media boat game of the year. Yes. So you want to go first or you want me to go first? <laughs> uh, for video games, I'm curious about yours. I think you should go, go ahead and do yours and then All I'll right. follow up. Well, we had 42 games that we talked about throughout this year, ranging from um, mobile games like Evo Land and... One of, I'm sure it's to be on yours, good Sudoku, mm-hmm. to console games like Animal Crossing and The Last of Us Part Two, to small indie games like Hades and Genshin Impact. Yeah. So to narrow all these games, all 42 games that we talked about into a top five was actually kind of easier than I thought. Really? Okay. Uh, based on what I've played and where I want to rank them, yeah, I think I came down with a good consensus here. Um, we'll start with going from not worst to first, but top bottom to top. At number five, I always give this slot to my mobile game of the year. <laughs> the game uh-huh. that I that basically dominated my phone that is on my phone and that I will play every day. And that is Disney's Sorcerer's Arena. <laughs> So honestly, I don't even remember you talking about this. <laughs> uh, this is your uh, build a Disney team using Disney characters and fight other players using Disney, uh, using your characters and using your teams. Okay. This thing uh, was released back in March. And I have played, logged in, and done the daily challenges every single day. Including today, <laughs> including the rest of the year, so much so that when this first thing first started, I got into a club member membership for it. I, the guys who ran it were part of the dev team because they had logged in at 185 days, even though the game was only available for like two days. So clearly they were on the back end. I took over said um club they promoted me to the leader of it and they eventually (laughs) left and now i run one of the most successful clubs on that platform oh my god (laughs) (laughs) this is just like the secret life you've been running this is the secret life that i've been running that that has quite possibly kept me a little bit sane because it's something that i honestly look forward to yeah i would say i check it twice a day i check it in the morning do all my daily missions and then I check it at night yeah. to um, do cleanup and to um, get rid of all the energy that I have because if they hit the peak, if they hit some max energy, I can't gain any more while I sleep. So I clear all that out yeah. when it comes when I wake up in the morning, I have full energy everywhere. Just do it again. Do it twice a day. Um, they've added club conquest where you fight against other uh, clubs. And they've added raids where you battle up against classic Disney villains. 
Mm-hmm. And because they've added all this, and be, I think mostly because I'm a part of a community that enjoys the same stuff that I do, and I kind of have to when, with the um, club name that is Keyblade Masters, <laughs> that yeah. you're actively searching for something like that. So you already have a base foundation and everyone in there, in that club, follows the rules, logs in every day, and it helps build that community. And I think that is probably one of the big reasons that I keep going to it. It's not something that's very passive to me, but that I'm actively engaged in with 50 other members in the club. Yeah. I mean... This sounds to me like this was this was your Animal Crossing for the year. I think the story with Animal Crossing is a lot of people are like, oh, this is the daily thing that I'm doing that reminds me that there's something else happening, that reminds me that there's friends out there that I can communicate with. And yeah, this was kind of your version of that, something you check in every day with, and that is like a community that you feel like connected to. Right. And I think because I was the leader of this community, it felt like I was in charge of a household here. And <laughs> every month, doing monthly maintenance of kicking out people who aren't participating and welcoming in new fresh faces to help build them up to help participate in these club quests yeah and that's why it's number five is something that i want to talk about and something that is close literally within arm's reach of me at all times (laughs) yes all right well very cool. Yeah. Uh, at number four, probably the game that I played the most all summer. Uh-huh. A game that's probably not going to be on anyone else's game of the year list. I don't know. You'd be surprised. I actually, I think a lot of people did like this game. But it's a game that I got literal hours of fun playing. And once I got the online, uh, Nintendo Online, it's actually the game that made me get Nintendo Online. Right. So I could play against other people. And that is Clubhouse Games, colon, 51 Worldwide Classics. Yeah. Now, out of the 51 games, I probably only actually play about 15 of them. (laughs) But those 15, oh, I have so many hours playing them against other people, against myself, against the computer. This was just the game that I'd pick up on the Switch while baseball was going on and play because I can focus on baseball as it happens and because everything is on a turn-by-turn basis right i can pay attention and then come back to it come back to the individual game that i'm playing yeah when i when i can there's no set time limit there's no quick action sequence it's a very relaxing game and for the price of 35 dollars, you get 51 good <laughs> games yeah and from what i understand it's got good like good like lessons to learn the games that are inside of it. So that way, if you don't know how to play something, you can kind of have like a little walkthrough. I like that it's uh, something that you can play locally multiplayer with people who you live with, which I'm sure you did a lot of. Yes, I did. Ludo, (laughs) basically their their version of trouble, but because because there's three of us and we have easy controls for the Switch, which that's one thing that the Switch does really well is it automatically comes with two controllers. Right. So you can play with other people these classic games instantly. Yeah, I think this game uh, really resonated with people in a way that the DS original Clubhouse games didn't because, one, the Switch is uh, ubiquitous in 2020. Everybody has one. And then, two, yeah, because it's a built-in multiplayer machine. I think that that's something that I think they advertised a lot when the Switch was launched, 
that not that many games have taken advantage of beyond your Mario Karts. Because the Clubhouse games are simple enough that yes, it doesn't matter that you're playing on a controller that's really not that not that comfortable nor full featured because they're simple games with simple controls. Right. I mean, the simplicity of it is what sells it. Yes. That anyone can pick it up and play it. And I have had times where people do pick it up and play it. <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay. It's simple. You move here, you press here. Done. That's right. your move. Right. It's simple. It's fun. And if you're not getting this for your holiday season, definitely pick it up for someone who does have it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it seems like a really cool, classic, timeless kind of experience. Yep. Uh, now I have my top three, which... All right. Trying to pick my third game could have gone a multitude of ways. <laughs> I could have gone with the party game, Jackbox Party Pack 7. I could have gone with the multiplayer game, Genshin Impact. And I could have gone with a game that I'm almost obsessed with, Kingdom Hearts Melody of Memory. <laughs> but instead, I went with the game with that I played probably the most with other people. Right. And that I completed the tutorial, or not the tutorial, the career mode, and that I have streamed online mm-hmm. as someone awesome. <laughs> And I think for those reasons, I give my number three slot to PGA 2K21. Right. Is this a surprise? This is on my list. No, actually, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, it sounds like it's a really, like, it's exactly what you guys needed in your household. It was a game that you could all enjoy. It was a game that, you not, like, had a theme, like, uh, like a golf, which is something that I know you do with your with your uh with your wife often anyways so it's like the perfect kind of confluence of all of these things where it's like oh this game that everybody can enjoy that i can stream really easily and that the recreation of the course the real courses that you've played on is kind of a cool little thing no i totally get it i think that's also one of the reasons why it's i have such a pain to is that we yeah. can look up any course in the <laughs> world and nine times out of nine i'll say nine times out of ten sometimes <laughs> like the little courses local courses may not be oh, yeah. there but yeah. for the most part the courses are all there and are all faithfully recreated um i know that this is can, this can be seen as an import of the golf club two or three or whatever they they were on but the fact that it's a pga game they get pga branding in it and you get the actual players from the pga tour on the game mm-hmm. i think that helps it helps amplify it because you get the pga rivals against it and so you're rivaled up against in your career mode an actual pga player and it kind of helps make it feel more real than just oh you're up against um create a player joe Kuzman. <laughs> yeah but also, I really like the creative players because, oh, I have some fun creative players. Oh, I'm sure. Um, with someone awesome being the creepiest dude you'll ever see on a golf course. <laughs> to Laker Man and Ram Man. <laughs> man. Uh, and Mantar being <laughs> a part of the game. <laughs> 
it's and, a fun fun game yeah and ultimately it's like it's a golf game which is yeah. like i'm sure is like you know what you're getting into but it seems like it was good enough to keep you keep you playing it and it's one of the games that we keep playing it as a family and i think that's why it's mm-hmm. number three on the list great so at least two and one and you know what yes. two and one are oh yeah no the, for the, sure uh so two and one and one and two can go either way for me. Okay, all right. But the reason one is placed above the other is because I have beaten one of these games three times. <laughs> and the other one I've beaten four times. But those four times, still I have not beaten the full game. Right, right, right. There's like an asterisk. <laughs> right, there's, a, there's an asterisk on there. And so that's why Hades is my number two game for the Switch. All right, all right. Uh, I know all there's right. a PC version, but I've been playing this on the Switch. Uh-huh. I wish I had bought this day one because mm-hmm. Me too. I've played this game nonstop. It is yeah. a rogue-like game with Greek mythology mm-hmm. as set in Hades as you try to escape, which is a brilliant setting. I'm surprised like I haven't seen this done more often. Yeah. But the fact that something like this crosses over with Hades Town. <laughs> it is in no way related, but has the exact same <laughs> themes running through it. Uh-huh. And that musical is uh, very catchy, I will say. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Friend this, of the show, Christy, would agree with you. Yes. Um, Big fan. Makes this um, something that I really, really enjoy and that I even convinced you to pick up and play. Yes, and I'm glad you did. I mean, I was probably going to even if you hadn't convinced me because I had already been convinced by people on podcasts and just on the internet in general, just lauding praise on it. But I think, yeah, the extra push that you gave me did help. (laughs) Right. The one um, barrier that I had going into it was, do I want to play a roguelike game where I continuously die? I don't like that I continuously die. Uh But the fact that it makes it fun. Yeah when you die and that you can level up your character and go back into it and take what you've learned and advance makes it a lot more fun than just, Oh, I died. I have to bang my head against this wall again and again and again. Right. It allows each run to be new and fresh and create different builds in order to escape Hades. Yeah. Yep. And I'm sure you will talk about that more uh, when we get to you. (laughs) Yes. So that leaves me my uh, number one choice yep. for my a game, game of the year. A game that I certainly will not be talking about in my top five no. of the year, even though I spent $60 on it. Yes, but I did play this game. <laughs> I beat it three times. It's on my, it's my number one because I did platinum it. Mm-hmm. And despite what people are saying online about it, I agreed with the story and I can tell the story that they were trying to tell. Uh-huh. And it's something that a lot of people don't think about, don't want to think about, but that that actions have consequences and they can come back to bite you. More over the more often than not, bash you over the head. <laughs> literally, sometimes. Quite literally, sometimes. Um, and that is <laughs> The Last of Us Part Two. Yes, the video game equivalent of being bashed on the head. I will agree with you in that point. <laughs> um. Yeah. Yeah. So Last of Us Part Two as is quickly racking up a lot of Game of the Year awards for sound, art, direction, editing, design, and it's well deserving of it all. This is Naughty Dog 
once again, at its finest as a AAA studio mm -hmm. doing what it does best, which is a narrative-driven game that gets you invested in these characters. It's a game that you want to see progress, that you can't wait to see it, that treats games like an art form, that treats it like a film, where every act and every story beat has a purpose and they all lead towards an ultimate goal. But then it gets flipped halfway through the game and mm -hmm. thrust you into a new perspective to where there is always a flip side of a coin. And that's also a funny part because during that second playthrough, you're collecting coins as part of the, uh, the collectibles. Sure. Uh, that there's a lot of intricate details done that makes you care for these characters and see their perspective because not every story is clear cut especially mm -hmm. when coming off of Game of the Year when it was released, The Last of Us. Yeah. I guess part one, but The Last of Us was yeah. critically praised for his storytelling that. To take something like that and say, we can do better and we can tell more stories within this universe, within this world that we've built, mm -hmm. shows that <clears throat> they definitely went at this, the proper way, the creative way, and I'd say the more interesting way than just a complete rehash of what would be in the first game. Mm -hmm. um, what I will say about Last of Us Part Two, I'm on record on this podcast for not caring for it a whole lot. Yes. Um, I tried playing, I think I got maybe a third into it, because it's one, a very, very long game. Uh, but what I will say about it in its, in its favor is that it is the ultimate evolution of a very specific kind of game-making philosophy. This is a AAA studio making a single-player experience that to them reaches the heights of something like a critically acclaimed like Oscar-worthy movie and or, what I think is more accurate, a uh, prestige television series. I think it's their video game version of something that is an HBO, like a, a critically acclaimed HBO series. Which is funny you say that because it, it is, will be will a, be a HBO critically series. acclaimed HBO series. <laughs> but yeah, and I think that yeah, it's in that way. It is quite a piece of work. It is amazingly realistic looking. Just the the graphical fidelity and effects on that thing are just fantastic. The lifelike uh, way that the characters act and look in that game is incredible. Um, the storytelling, you're right, is storytelling that a lot of video games have never even attempted before. It's a story that, sure, there have been versions of in video games, but it's the, like I said, the ultimate version of that story, uh, that story, those storytelling devices, that storytelling approach. And the game that they're making, they did a good job of making um, the gameplay, the moment-to-moment -moment gameplay, be as full of tension and drama as the story itself. The question is, is, is in a year like 2020, is how many people are actually willing to endure the kind of nihilist, dark drama that they're portraying? And Right, I and that's one of the things we talked about going right. into the game is, is this a game that in the year of a pandemic where people yeah. are 
have a lot of fear out there, mm-hmm. a game that's going to get people to play it and enjoy and it. I think what we found out, and I kind of alluded to this earlier, I think what we found out is that there's just people who are ready for that and there are people who are not. And that's just the reality of it. It's interesting that we have the juxtaposition juxtaposition on your list of Hades and Last of Us kind of vying for the top spot. And I think that in a way that kind of summarizes the video game industry's war with itself over the last two decades. You have indie game, the indie game movement really pushing for gameplay first experiences that may not tell the most dramatic story, the most prestige television-y story, but they're not trying to. They don't want to be another medium. They don't want to be movies. They don't want to be television shows. They want to be video games, and that's what they really push on. And then you have the AAA story, which I think culminates in Last of Us Part Two, which is we want to make our version of the prestige story within a video game context. And you have those two philosophies butting up against each other over the last two decades, over and over again. And I think it's really come to a head here. These games could not be any more different than they are, like in almost every facet, whether it's visual style with 2D versus 3D, whether it's like length, you can finish a run of Hades in 30 minutes, whereas Last of Us Part Two takes, what, 20 hours? Yeah roughly 20 hours like they could not be any more different than they are so it's really interesting and i'm glad that we were able to kind of put them against each other because i think it is the most perfect example of where we're at as a business and an industry and where you fight fall on that fight really depends on what you like to play and knowing who you are you like game stories and you like immersive worlds and so it's not surprising to me that the last of us part two really stayed with you yep and as for your type of games, it's none of that. <laughs> but let's see what you had on your list. All right, let's let's stretch. Let's get into it. I'll try to be brief because we've already made a very long podcast and we have three more to do. So I'm going to start at the bottom here. But is it really the bottom? Because I feel like all five of these games this year, I think, are potential all-timers for me. Like 2020 was a fan fantastic year full of games and these only scratch the surface of the stuff that i played but i loved them all so let's start with number five which is one we've talked about a lot on this podcast already animal crossing new horizons so going into this year uh i did not plan on buying this i hadn't played of animal crossing in a few years the animal crossing i played the most of was the gamecube gamecube original back in 2002 so I was like, has it been long enough? Maybe I could get into one of these again. Well, I'm glad I did because Animal Crossing ended up being what the Disney Sorcerer's Arena game was for you, for me. It was a thing I could do daily that really like put me into like an environment that wasn't worrying about a nationwide pandemic. A world where I could just talk to my animal friends make cool, you know, DIY projects, like organize my house and like just chill on an island for a little bit. Right. It and also... the, Go ahead. how do I say this? The freedom <laughs> you have to yes. do whatever you want your island to oh, be yeah. yes. was one of the things that made 
me not want to get it, <laughs> but clearly worked for you. I mean, yeah, I think that initially, I think I kind of bristled against the, uh, you have to build everything in this game, which means you have to farm for stuff, which means, oh, your weapons, not weapons, they're not weapons, your tools break after you use them. Initially, I was like, oh, that kind of sucks. But I think as I played more of the game, I realized, oh, they know that it sucks. And so they make it really easy for you to get the stuff if you need it. And so by, you know, by the third week of the game, I had so much residual, like, sticks and stones and stuff to build stuff with it really stopped being an issue but what the one thing though i will say which is why it was super important to me this year is because it was a communication device i think animal crossing and zoom are the two things that kept me sane this year <laughs> because they both gave me a opportunity to talk to people that i couldn't see in person in a way that simulated seeing them in person animal crossing especially so the first three months of this pandemic, I was unable to see my girlfriend. We were unable to make a, we didn't see each other soon enough for it to be a thing where our bubbles could be united. And so for the first three months, while we were still figuring out what we could do and how safe it was to see each other, we were only interacting digitally. We were only interacting via FaceTime calls and Animal Crossing. But the cool thing about Animal Crossing that what allowed us to do that we didn't that we couldn't do through FaceTime or Zoom was be able to actually see each other like on a like fictional digital screen, interact with each other in a close proximity, which sounds like a little thing, but in a time where you have a significant other that you cannot see in real life, it actually feels meaningful and it feels like an emotional connection that you can't do otherwise. And so it really meant a lot to us and our relationship that we were able to have this game that we could play together and like enjoy together at the same time eventually yeah, i did get to higher on your list yeah because that's just how strong the rest of these games are trust me <laughs> like also the other reason why it's number five on this list is because i did eventually drop off of it as more games came out that kind of um, got i got more involved in other ways um i stopped playing animal crossing every day and now i haven't played in a whole handful of months that's not saying that I won't someday return to it. They are doing good updates throughout the year that make me interested in the game that it is now as opposed to the game I played in July. Um, but it stopped being this destination I had to see every day. And of course, that also goes hand in hand with things that have happened within this apartment in my personal life. And the ease of just immediately jumping on a switch has not necessarily been always available to me. So... It's a combination of things, but ultimately, I think it's the best Animal Crossing they've ever put out. I think the the just the 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 tools it presents to you to use it as a communication tool with your friends are great. They could be better, but they're still pretty good. Um, and yeah, it's just created an alternative world to live in instead of the hell world that we live in in 2020. Right, it provided a good escape for you. Um, yes, not only digitally, but to see people and kind of interact with other people. Yes. In yeah. outside a bubble that you needed to, cre to create for yourself and for so, other people to create for themselves. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was just a wonderful, a, a wonderful addition and something I will definitely return to. Right. And because it was such a timed event that at the beginning, everyone was on the same page. Yes. That was the other thing. It was a way, and I'll get back into this in a, another game on this list. 
but it was a way to be part of something bigger than just playing a game. It was part of a online, it was being part of an online community that we were all experiencing at the same time. And yeah, you're right. That, that's something we don't get a whole lot of anymore. So when it does happen, it's precious. And again, I'll talk about that more in a different game. <laughs> but before that, I have number four moving on, which is, I guess, my mobile game of the year. Good Sudoku. Now, you said this was your game of the year early on. <laughs> well, definitely for mobile platforms, for sure. Um, man, I love Sudoku puzzles, but this thing has given me a new, completely new like appreciation for them. Um, I think that at first glance, it's really easy to be like, oh, it's just, a, it's just a way to play Sudoku on your phone. But the thing that makes it better than that is that it's a tool as well as a Sudoku game. It's a way to get better at Sudoku and learn new techniques for Sudoku that you may not have, that you may have read about, but never actually like put into practice. The way it's built makes it easy to learn and actually adapt your play style to thinking about Sudoku in a way that you hadn't thought about it before. I have now been become better at Sudoku puzzles and can do expert puzzles easily thanks to the tools that this thing has given me. Not to mention that it's also the best presented Sudoku app that I've ever played. Just it's clear, bright colors, really good note-taking um, tools, just like really cool features that if you uh, pay the $2.99, there's like an eternal mode that will just like, you just play infinite Sudoku puzzles until you run out of hearts. <laughs> just like little bits of cool things that they put in this thing to make it like the perfect Sudoku game. I don't know how anybody can make a Sudoku game better than this. And it's huge. There's so many puzzles. I'm still going on expert puzzles and I don't know when they will ever end. <laughs> it's just an amazing piece of work. Like I recommend you can play it for free with ads, but I recommend spending the $3 to just get an ad free, like ideal version of the game. If you ever, ever, ever liked a Sudoku puzzle, it's a no brainer. Get this thing and it's the best Sudoku experience you can get. Right. Even in the beginning, when you first open the app, it tells you that this game was created to yeah. help people learn how to play Sudoku and to master Sudoku. Yeah. And you've gotten a lot of use out of this, I know. Yeah, I play this almost every day. Like, it's definitely uh, just kind of my wind down before I go to sleep game. It's my listen to a podcast and relax game. It's, it's great. And yeah, uh, I think that whenever we're allowed to take... Uh, a flight again and next time I'm on a plane maybe in 2022 it'll be a perfect playing game so all right. yeah and, cool. all right so that's your yeah not a whole lot to talk year. about it though because it's really just Sudoku but. right but it's still your number four game of the year yeah which means there's three better games but there's three games that um really got me I think absorbed. I know what two of these are what's the third one well here's number three number three is Genshin Impact so this was the surprise of the year for me. Uh, it was like, if you told me that I'd be really into an anime open world game, I would not have believed you because those two things are not things that I usually, you know, glom onto. I like right. the occasional open world experience, but and since like Saints Row 4, I don't think I've had one that I've really been like, oh, I need to do everything in this game. Right. And this isn't a, ga a game that I sold to you. This is a game that you sold to me. <laughs> yeah, this is a game that the internet sold to me, uh, which happened a couple times, a few times on this list. 
Um, and yeah, I'm glad that it did because I really, really enjoy, continue to enjoy my time within, with Genshin Impact. And here's the reason why I think I do. Uh, one, it's free to play. There's no barrier to entry on this thing at all. You can play it on a phone. You can play it on an iPad. You can play it on a Switch. Or no, you can't play it on a Switch yet, but you will probably next year. You can play it on a PlayStation 4 and you can play it on a computer. So pretty much most people have one of those things. So you can instantly start playing this thing for no cost at all. Um, it's a enormous world with so many things to do, so many missions, so many things to explore. Uh, the story is more interesting than it should be. <laughs> like it's better written than I think that it, that like it has any business being. Um, the characters' designs and the world design is really compelling, especially for a game that you don't have to pay for. It's just amazing the things that they were able to do uh, with this game. I can't imagine the budget and the, just the team. Um, it's a Chinese development studio, so we don't know a whole lot of details about it. But if I, I could, like, just looking at the thing they created, it must have been a painstaking, huge project. Um, the flip side of this is that it's also a gotcha game. And for those listeners that are not familiar with what that means, it means that it's packed full of microtransactions to make up for the fact that it's free to play. That being said, the game never bars you from doing anything uh, without paying. So you don't have to ever, you're never forced to pay. But it means that a lot of the coolest characters are behind that paywall, that you do have to take, you know, real, you have to take the in-game currency, or if you run out of in-game currency, real, real life currency, uh, to get some of the cooler characters in this game. That kind of sucks. And I think that that's going to turn a lot of people off from playing a lot of this game. Also, there's the extra wrinkle there of, because it's basically gambling, it has the potential to uh, kind of activate a lot of people's addictive tendencies or worse, gambling addiction tendencies um, that could potentially lead to a lot of people spending more money than they should. That's a bad thing. And I don't want to like praise this game without at least bringing up that just the, just the very DNA of gotcha games takes advantage of people with gambling addictions. Straight up, it does. It's a lousy strategy to get money out of people that does harm a lot of, in a lot of real ways, real people. But, but you don't it got need, you to play. But you don't you need any back. of that stuff. Like you don't need any of that stuff. You might, and really the only thing that's there pushing you to get it is peer pressure. Literally only thing is peer pressure. So as long as you're somebody who is able to differentiate and to separate, you know, that tendency, that addictive tendency from the actual game itself, you'll, there's a more than enough to recommend here. Um, but that's going to be a barrier for a lot of people. So I definitely wanted to bring it up. Right. Uh, yeah. And you can, it can't trap you as they do release new characters. And it's like, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, I really want this character. I need to spend uh, to get this character. Right. And it's possible uh, to get those characters without spending real life money. There is enough of a drip of that currency in the game to keep you going if you so choose to make rolls. So it's not like it's you're it's not like you're never going to naturally get those things. But it's definitely something to be aware of going into it. But my experience, though, um, I haven't spent a dollar of my own money on it. 
I might because I feel like I just want to give to the developer to, for ha giving me such a fun free game. Uh, but yeah, it just the other thing is it just keeps going and it's never going to end. They're going to keep updating this thing. The story will get longer. The world will get bigger, and there'll be more cool characters to play. And moment to moment, it's a game I love to play and explore within. So I'm happy that they're going to continue making more of it, and I'll be able to play it for a long time. And it's free. And it and is it's free. free. One so last. Thing I thought I'll this say, would be one of your top two games. <laughs> I know what number one was. is then. It almost was. Let me tell you, it's this was a hard list to kind of nail down. All right. So I know what your number one is going to be, but what's your number two? I don't know if you do know that. Don't get ahead of yourself because my number two game is maybe not a game at all. <laughs> okay. Me, wait. What? Yeah. Let me let me explain. All right. You're you're gonna do Lucy. You got some explaining to do. <laughs> I do. So my number two game is a game that is a game in only like a few ways. It is based on a browser. It is something that you only lightly interact with. You bet on it with fake money. Uh, every At the end of every week, you vote on it to make potential changes to how the game works. And then um, there's a meta game kind of uh, to it because the fan community around it has created their own stories, fan art, and world canon uh, on the outside of it that the game only suggests and does not actually show. So is it a game? I think that that means it is. But I could definitely understand if people don't think that's a game. <laughs> the game I'm talking about is Blaseball. So <laughs> this was your alternate... <laughs> to actual baseball <laughs> and something that you have been talking about and tweeting about for a while now. Yeah, so I found out this this thing even existed from some people kind of tweeting about it, uh, not really explaining what it was. I didn't even really know what it was until I logged in, created an account and actually started looking at it. So for those who don't know, the real brief summary of what it is, is it's fictional baseball with weird rules with fictional characters that are playing the games over and over again for an entire week. And that week makes an entire season of baseball. So the standings created by those individual games all lead to a World Series or a baseball series at the end of the week. And a champion is crowned and you have a winner. Then the community then votes when you can bet on the games to earn currency. With that currency, you can then spend money to vote on the, the big like election at the end of the season that will then sometimes change rules or and or teams that affect the next week's season of baseball. But that is only the surface of what this thing ended up becoming, because whereas that's where it started, the fans kind of took and ran with it because they created this like baseball universe where they were making fan art based on the players' names, um, based on the teams and the locations of the team. These fake teams, they started making headcanon about what they thought that the, were the backstories of each of the players and the teams. Entire an entire wiki was basically built by the fans to create a world that the developers of the actual game had only suggested existed. Right, and I think that this right there is where yeah. this 
transforms it from just a casual thing to an active game service that yeah. can I think maybe qualify as a game. No, I, I think it definitely does because when it gets into when the stuff because the thing that happened after that is that the developers saw all this fan interaction and then stuff that the fans were creating reflected right back to the game. So they started incorporating things like things that the fans created, such as uh, one of the most famous, using quotes here, um, baseball fake players is Jessica Telephone. And one of the things that the fans created for Jessica Telephone was a bat that she used called the dial tone. The developers put the dial tone in the game. And so you can look at Jessica Telephone, you can click on Jessica Telephone and it says that that's the weapon or item she's holding is her dial tone. So the things that are being created by the fans are being put back into the game in a way that I haven't seen the likes of before. And also on top of all this, the developers have made the game more and more wild as it's gone on. So it started as just, I don't know, baseball is happening. But what it's become now is at the end of this at, uh, end of the season of baseball, the series winner has to basically fight a RPG style battle against the god of the baseball world, who was a sh who was a giant peanut called the Shelled One. <laughs> yeah, you're um, kind of losing me there. But the fact that video games can be anything, right, right, just makes it's, it all the more absurd. It's insane. It's like. It's so cool, and this would be my number one game if it wasn't for it's just the number one game. If it wasn't for the thing that is my number one game, which I'll get into in a moment, but it's just amazing the thing that they've created, the world that they've created with this thing. The one negative thing I will say about it, and friend of the show Christy and I have talked about this a few times, is that the the extent of how wild that it's gotten may turn people off who weren't there from the beginning. I think if you tried to get into baseball now, there would be way too much prior knowledge that would be expected of you to really understand how weird and how cool that it's become. So that is a downside. And that is something that I don't know if there is a really easy way to solve or fix. Yeah. I've had the luxury of getting in when it was new. And so I've seen all of this evolve on a natural rate but I can't imagine what it'd be like to come in now. It might be like a Twitch plays Pokemon thing where yeah. if you'd come in a week or two after it started, you'd lose a lot of the lore if it yeah. wasn't like backed up and cataloged somewhere. And yeah, I think you bring up an extra interesting point with that because yeah, I think a good precedent for this is Twitch plays Pokemon because the fans kind of took that thing and ran with it in a way that, in, in the way that the baseball fans have done as well. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think that we're not going to, I think we're going to start seeing more things like this just because of the runaway success that Blaseball has been. In fact, uh, there's no video here, but I'm wearing my Blaseball shirt for my uh, team of, uh, team of, my local favorite team, the Unlimited Tacos. Oh, I noticed. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's just amazing uh, that it even exists and I can't wait to see what they end up doing with it. But then I, that means I know what your number one game is then. Yes, but the number one game though, which I has been oscillating, fighting with baseball in my heart, I think over the last few days specifically, um, is uh, Hades. <laughs> so, so you already kind of 
Yeah, we when we a, talked about this, you were yeah. t- saying, is Blaze Ball a game? Is it my number one game? Yeah. And so that's why I thought you were going to go with this. But yet, here we are. Hades stands atop your list. So, yeah, I, I think what ultimately changed it was I really thought about my relationship with this game. And it's just a relationship that I have not had with a game, like, maybe ever. Um, so here's the thing. You already kind of did a good job setting up what Hades is, why you like it, and all that stuff I agree with. I agree that it's they were they were able to make a roguelike game uh, where you constantly are dying. They made it fun to die, which is a weird thing to say. They made it cool to see what would happen in the game even if you failed. They made a roguelike that didn't frustrate you as much as it endeared, like made you like love it more. Like I, yes, had a hard time playing it in me, initially. There were roadblocks as I continued playing it where I would come across an enemy that I had a hard time beating, like a boss that gave me a particularly hard time. But what happened as the more I played it, subconsciously I got better at it, which is the thing they always tell you is going to happen if you stick with something, right? I had friends that I used to play video games with that used to give me a hard time because they were like, well, if you just play a lot of it, you'll get better at it. You just got to learn the maps. And that always used to drive me crazy because I'm like, I play a lot of this, but I don't get better at it because it, those were multiplayer games where people were so good and dedicated so much time that they were unbeatable. This is different. This is a single player game. Like, obviously there's going to be differences there, but the thing that it's doing is it's so good at like teaching you without explicitly teaching you how to be better at the game that you learn subconsciously you're not even realizing you're getting better at the game so you might so i had like i had that the biggest roadblock for me in this game for a very long time for like a week and a half was the freaking boss battle in elysium the uh the um fight between the minotaur, the minotaur yeah the minotaur and the, the other dude yeah and that really tripped me up and i could not pass it then I suddenly passed it and then I passed it again and, and it didn't feel so hard anymore and then now I beat him every time then it was the last battle and then suddenly I was beating that and it's like I don't like I wasn't like thinking every run okay I'm gonna get better I'm gonna dodge better no that thought never crossed my mind I was just like I'm gonna play this fun game so that in its own is a cool like concept, just a game that I never had a game like that before where I was dedicated to it, but I didn't actually, I, it didn't actually feel like I was making more of an effort. I was just innately getting better at it. The other thing that I think this game, why this game is so cool is the world that it's created. Almost every character is quirky in its own way in this game even the characters that you don't think you're gonna like immediately like grow on you the story it's telling is kind of more like your typical like uh greek greek mythology story but the way that they tell it is the cool part because the more you talk to people the more you're gonna find out more about their stories the more you play the game the more that these stories kind of like you get more like insight into the relationships between the different characters and the characters will even comment 
to you about stuff that you did in the game. And so the game will change depending on what you actually do to it, which is also really cool. Yeah, that's one of the better things about this is that it not only does the world itself grow as you grow, but the more you talk to people and the more insight you learn and grow and unlock, the more fleshed out the world feels. Yeah. And of course, none of this would matter if it wasn't a fun game to play. So above Mm. all, the moment-to-moment gameplay is just so, it just feels so good. Like I'm playing on PC, but with a controller and like, yeah, like, I don't know the last time the game has felt felt this good to play. Just like, and the weapons too. The weapons have so much variety with them that like each one has its own cool thing that it does. And so weapons I dismissed at first, I'm starting to like now. So yeah, it's just a game that does everything it does so, so, so well that I think this has easily earned like an all-time slot on my all-time list at this point. Because I don't recall the last time a game has really grabbed me and held on to me as much as this game has has done it's that's high just, praise yeah that's just fan it's just fantastic in almost every single way just running on all cylinders just yeah it's definitely the game of the year so this may be the easiest <laughs> thing we had to crown uh on yeah. our list this year oh yeah no this is no contest uh i think because it's the only hades. game that crosses over between both <laughs> our lists yes hades is media boat game of the year yes by far uh but like I said, I do acknowledge what The Last of Us Part Two does. I know what, what it does well, but I am just not the person for that game. One and two, I just, yeah, it's just, I just couldn't, I was not in a place for that game. Uh, but Hades, on the, other, on the other hand, was like the perfect game for the time. And yeah, it just, it has to be, it has to be the number one. All right. You, that's uh, stamp it here. Hades. Media Boat Game of the Year. Yeah. One down. Thank you for uh, listening to this extra long podcast. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how the other ones will go. I imagine they'll be about the same size. <laughs> so get ready. Buckle yeah, up. They usually are about this length, yeah. sometimes shorter. But thank you for tuning in. We will be back, I guess, tomorrow mm-hmm. with a new episode for when this is released uh, with music. We'll have our thoughts there. Yep, we sure will. But if you're listening to this in the future and it's already up, you can listen to it right now. All right, peace out. All right, bye. Ooh, boy.